Be sure to tune into Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much, much more. On her new radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues, as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out her new show, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., Immigration with Tamina Watson on Daisy 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Hello, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning that's very cold. I hope you're staying warm and driving safely and avoiding ice on the road. Um, Today is December 15th, 2015. There are only two weeks left in this year. I hope you're planning for the holiday well and looking forward to the lovely break that we're about to get. Um, Today's show is going to focus on, as usual, some news updates. We're going to be talking about um, a famous immigrant to remind you about the immigrant contribution into into, into United States. And we're going to speak to a very special person today as well. And I hope you stay tuned for the next 25 minutes. If you have any questions, you're very welcome to call us. Our number is 206 414 7674. That's 206-414-7674. You can email us at info at If you have any questions, any comments, we'd love to hear from you. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, a, a brand that you all know about, a brand that you don't even think about anymore as an immigrant contribution. Procter & Gamble, I'm sure you know about that. Um, what do they not make? They make your um, kitchen towels. They make your bathroom towels. They make your Johnson and, you know, sorry, your baby, baby lotions and Olay and everything. But did you know Procter & Gamble were immigrants? So William Procter was an Englishman and candle maker in Cincinnati. And James Gamble was an Irishman who was an apprentice soap maker. The two men married sisters, Olivia and Elizabeth Norris. Their father-in-law advised them to become business partners. And like good son-in-laws, eager to please, they followed his advice. Today, Procter & Gamble um, employs 120,000 employees worldwide. They were founded in 1837. Some of their brands um, products include Olay, Bounty, Old Spice, etc., you know, I really want to make sure that listeners are reminded that immigrant, immigrant contribution is huge in this country, and it's really part of the fabric of our life. And often we forget um, these immigrants really help shape this country. So when you use your toothbrush next time or toothpaste next time, remember that immigrant contribution is, is huge. In news updates, there is just so much news going on, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I really was hoping to talk about EB-5 visas today. Um, uh, on Friday, the well, Congress didn't pass a new law on, uh, on the budget. They really had a short-term bill just to tide them over until today. And in the budget 
um, bill, there is going to be provisions about visa waiver program and the EB-5 program. And so if this is of interest to you, tune in next week because... Since the inception of the visa program for EB-5, significant changes are probably going to happen for the first time. It's possible that the minimum investment will go up um, and various other things. But what news do we have in the interim? Well, unfortunately, in the news, whichever news media that you open, you'll see that there's such an anti-Muslim rhetoric going on at the moment. But I am proud to say that we live in a state that's progressive and liberal and very compassionate. So yesterday, the mayor's office, um, the, the city adopted a resolution to support the Muslim community. And what does that mean? It means that um, essentially there will be more protection um, for the Muslim community. And the resolution said, a resolution declaring support for Muslim communities, affirming the religious pluralism of the United States and urging Seattle residents to stand together for peace and understanding. The resolution goes on to talk about many more things, but you can go to um, the, the mayor's website to see what else it says. But that's just fabulous news. In addition, um, the White House actually published uh, a report today and the, the Seattle Mayor's Office for the, the Refugee, I forget what the actual title of the office is right now, um, but the, the, the Seattle Office of uh, Refugee and Immigrant Council was really mentioned three times in it. So we're doing something good. Um, in other news, in visa processing, um, typically or uh, we weren't really clear about whether this was happening or not, but social media wasn't part of the investigation process for um, uh, adjudicating cases. Having said that, you know, I always told my clients, make sure that your Facebook page matches whatever you're telling me. Um, but in the, in the last couple of days, a lot of news outlets are speaking about a, a new policy that is actually being created to ensure the security gaps in the U.S. visa system are closed. And that means checking social media when pro processing visa applications. So it's something to keep in, in mind, uh, you know, if you're always telling the truth wherever you are and whatever social media, it's not a problem. But just to, just to think about that. And, of course, this all comes out from the the Californian incident. So a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Um, the New York mayor uh, uh, recently, I think in the last couple of days, instituted new policies to help immigrants get work permits and be settled more. So keep an eye on that. I hope our state does, does a lot more than it's doing, but really we're one of the leading states on immigrant policies. So I'm going to talk about um, something very important today, Whichever type of case I'm filing for my clients, whether it's a family-based case or an employment-based case, there's no avoiding the importance of tax issues. They come in, come in uh, to the conversation before we talk about immigration strategy, during we, the, the processing of the case and even afterwards. Um, in a marriage case, the U.S. citizen has to prove that they are making sufficient money to provide for their spouse. In an employment-based case, uh, employers often have to prove that they are legitimate organizations filing taxes and they have sufficient money to pay for the employees. 
So today, um, uh, we are very, very lucky to have a wonderful tax attorney at our studio, Ruby Banipal. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tamina. Before we speak with her, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Ruby Banipal focuses her practice on international tax law with an emphasis on providing tax-efficient restructuring solutions for high-net-worth individuals and their families. Ruby regularly works with cross-disciplinary teams in implementing international structures and investment strategies for U.S. and non-U.S. individuals and their families. Ruby counsels clients on the tax implications that arise when cash, property, businesses, or transactions cross borders. In this capacity, Ruby advises foreign clients on the U.S. income, estate, and gift tax consequences of alternative inbound investment structures while utilizing income, estate, and gift tax treaties to minimize tax and regulatory burdens. Often, Ruby's clients are multi-generational families that span multiple jurisdictions, requiring an in-depth understanding of tax laws worldwide. Ruby works regularly with counsel in Asia, Canada, and Latin America to service clients that are interested in making cross-border investments. Ruby was based out of DLA Piper's Hong Kong office in 2014, and now she's at the DLA Piper office in Seattle, right? That's right. Recently relocated from Chicago. Wonderful. Welcome to Seattle. Thank you. It's it's good to be back. I'm actually from the West Coast. So. Wonderful. And welcome to Desi 1250 AM. This is just a wonderful introduction to you to the radio station. Thank you for having me. So um, I would like for you to touch upon three things today. I mean, tax conversation can go on and on and on, and I hope you'll come back in the future when we talk about different issues. But today I would like for you to touch upon three things. Um, Temporary work visa statuses for people who are here and what their tax implications are. People who are green card holders, what their tax implications are. And citizens, what their tax implications are. And I know we could talk about this forever for each one of them. So let's see if you can be concise for our listeners and tell them what they need to know in a, in a, in a snapshot. Sure, sure. Why don't we start with uh, actually U.S. citizens? Because that's typically, from my perspective, the easiest one to deal with. Wonderful. So if you, have, uh, if you were born in the United States or acquired United States citizenship at some point later on in life... Um, the good news is it's very easy to understand how taxes work. The bad news is it's very far-reaching. So uh, U.S. citizens are taxed on a worldwide basis. That means any income that is earned here in the United States or outside of the United States is subject to tax in the U.S. Now, we can get into a discussion about treaties and how you know the United States has about 50 income tax treaties with different countries. Um, now we can get into a discussion about how those treaties impact some of that. So you may have a situation where, let's say, income is earned by a U.S. citizen uh, abroad, and the U.S. wants to tax it because the U.S. has a worldwide tax system for its citizens, and that other country might also want to tax it. So the good news is if you fall under one of those tax treaties, if the work is being done in one of the treaty partner countries, it will get sourced to one or the other, so for the most part, you are able to avoid double taxation on that end. But generally speaking, if you're a U.S. citizen, income taxes are being paid in the U.S. on all income that you earned. At the very least, it's being reported if it's otherwise being sourced outside. Wonderful. Let um, me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So, and I would love for you to come back on a on a topic when we talk about just citizenship. Yes. But anybody who's going to going from green card to citizenship. 
Should they come and talk to you first? You know, the the important part, so the, the green card is interesting because it's lawful permanent resident status. And it really, from a tax perspective, is treated the exact same way as citizenship. So um, the discussion really should be happening when they're talking to you, when they're talking to their immigration lawyer about filing that petition, about, you know, not only getting the petition ready and, and, and figuring out the timing of when they may or may not be able to actually receive their, whether it's a conditional or permanent green card, um, the discussion needs to be happening basically in conjunction with that. Okay. Because effective the date that they receive their green card, they become subject to these same rules that a citizen would. So it's very important, um, you know, and this is sometimes the hard part, getting that message across. People are far more concerned usually with getting the application in and making sure that it's done timely, et cetera. And it is a very, very important decision. But the taxes should not be forgotten. Um, You know, I have clients that come in. Majority of our our clients lately have been uh, non-U.S. citizens who are coming into the U.S. You know, either um, they're moving here for personal reasons, their children want to attend schools here, they want to start businesses here, they want to invest in the United States. It's a great place to be. The economy is, you know, thriving again, and and, uh, they're really seeing a lot of opportunity. So the initial introduction, and if we're fortunate enough to see the client at the same time or close to in time to when they start talking to their immigration lawyer, we can start having that discussion right away and we can do what we call pre-immigration tax planning. There are really very limited circumstances as far as the U.S. tax world is concerned or you can do some planning um, to really make your tax position as efficient as possible going forward. Um, you know, I won't get into the details of it today, but um, you know, there are there are certain elections that can be made as long as they're made before receiving mm-hmm. the green card. Okay. There are certain uh, gift planning, uh, certain things that we can do to make the incoming soon-to-be green card holder, permanent resident or citizen or, you know, whatever the status is, put them in the most efficient sort of position possible from a tax perspective. Got it. So what you're saying is the tax liability is the same for a green card holder as it is for a citizen. Yes, and that's not just income taxes. Um, The other thing that shocks a lot of people when they come to the U.S. and they might not find out until much, much later is the U.S. also has a very significant estate tax burden, Mm. um, death taxes. Mm-hmm. Right. There's two things that are certain. So if you're a legal permanent resident dying in India, there are implications in the U.S.? Well, citizens certainly are going to be taxed um, for estate tax purposes. Uh, green card holders, it's an, it's an interesting question because um, residency for income tax for citizens, for instance, worldwide, for green card holders worldwide. Residency for estate tax is actually based on what we call domicile. So it's I a little see. bit of a different test. Okay. It's the uh, it's basically residing somewhere with a permanent intent to remain there. Mm-hmm. So typically, if you're a green card holder, that's permanent intent. Mm-hmm. And the you know the day the IRS considers that you've given up that permanent intent, they'll actually revoke your green card, or you're mm-hmm. you know you're in you're in some sort of um, they, they may not outright revoke it, but you're in. Um, you know, you're possibly jeopardizing your green card position at that point. So it's always mm-hmm. important during someone's green card application and, and while they're holding a green card until it goes, you know, until they switch over to citizenship to always make sure that you maintain that connection to the U.S. Mm-hmm. By virtue of having that permanent sort of connection, you probably also are establishing domicile at the same time. Interesting. Well, 
part of the immigration advice that I would give somebody is don't leave the country for more than 50% of the time in the year. Uh, right. So there's a tax implication to that as well. Then. Well, then that might actually play into the domicile to, mm. you know, to even strengthen that that position that you were domiciled there. 50% of the year, yeah, the other 49, you know, maybe you were somewhere else. 51, you were here, but your ties are here. You've got a green card. Got it. You maintain your green card, so it seems to me like you have the permanent intent to remain. So the, you know, the the issue with the with the domicile, the estate taxes, um, absent. Uh, well, there's always a, there's always an exemption every year, and this year it's five point four three million. Um, next year it'll go up to five point four five million. But if you own assets at your death and you're subject to U.S. estate tax, you're taxed at forty percent. Your estate is taxed at forty percent on the fair market value of the assets over that amount. Wow. So some of our clients, you know, that we see coming in here. Um, they may come in starting a business or two or, you know, have a smaller investment, let's say, but we hope that they continue to grow that and we hope that their asset base grows and that their wealth grows and then they find themselves in, you know, an estate tax, um, mm-hmm. ha- having estate tax c- concerns. Okay. Um, estate tax planning can also be done at the same time. Some of it can be done at the same time as pre-immigration planning is done, okay. but that's also something to consider. Okay. Very good. So let's take the. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Sure. So, but I want to. I want to take the step by step of somebody's lifetime in the U.S. Yes. Let's 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 talk about the temporary work visa holder. Sure. What what are what are their implications? And that that's a great question. And that's where there is, um, you know, you, you've got you've got different classifications. So depending on the type of visa that that someone has, and this is actually uh, one way to one way one thing you can do is go to the IRS website, and it'll actually give you a list of all the visas, and typically whether the person is considered a resident or non-resident of the U.S. U.S. residents are also taxed the way... I see. So let's say I have a lot of H-1B clients, mm-hmm. clients on L's and O's mm-hmm. and E's. What would they be considered? Well, so for the most part, most of those folks would fall under residency if they meet what the U.S. calls the substantial presence test. Under the substantial presence test, it's a day counting test, mm. right? So most of these folks on these visas, myself included, <laughs> I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm on an H-1B visa. You're I a s- notable immigrant talking <laughs> on our show today. This is wonderful. Thank you. Um, you know, my employment is full time. And the expectation is I'm here, um, absent going home to visit family or maybe traveling for work outside of the United States. I'm going to be here for the bulk of the year. And as soon as you cross over 183 days, you're a resident for that year. So that is really the magic number. There's also um, there's also a you know three year test where it's a ratio, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know those are details we can go into another time. But um, a, a temporary visa holder, no matter what visa really it is, unless it's exempt from that test. And there are a few visas that are like F- a diplomat. Uh, yes, exactly. And an F one visa, like students. Oh, okay. Right? So myself, I was a student here in the U S. for four years before I started practicing, and those days were exempt from the one hundred eighty three day count. So I was not considered a tax resident really in those years. But H one B visas, O visas, are not exempt visas. So what you need to think about there is your day counting. The um, Customs and Border Border Patrol website, you can go online and actually see your entry and exit record. Mm -hmm. And And you have to look at that too? I look at it all the time. Oh, interesting. I didn't (laughs) know you had to look at that. I I, have to look at that. I I look at it all the time because (laughs) I'm trying to, you know, when when you're doing your extension on Mm -hmm. your H-1B for the number of days you're outside of the U.S., it's really important to kind of line that up and see, you know, how many extra months you can tack on to every visa. And so Mm -hmm. I I look at it regularly. Oh, interesting. I have no idea. uh, You should always keep your own records as well. Sometimes Mm -hmm. those aren't perfect. Okay. Um, You know, so keeping things like 
boarding passes or keeping travel itineraries, I realize it's a bit of a hassle. But do you but do that because you're here from Canada or are you doing that as a tax attorney? I do that for myself because I'm here and I'm you know, always uh-huh. thinking about my visa expiration date. And I do do it for my clients as well oh, who fly in and out of the U.S. and always want to know where am I on my days? You know, uh-huh. Am I getting too close? Um, and, and I constantly, every year at the end of the year, my team and I, we have discussions with our clients and say, what are your plans for next year? You know, your children live in Miami, for instance. I've got a great team in Miami, um, and, uh, you know, we've got a great group of clients that come in and out of there regularly. But, you know, we need to know what are their life plans, because if you think you're going to cross over 183 days, we need to start thinking about tax planning. So what does that mean? If you've crossed over the 183 days, you're paying a higher tax amount? Well, then you become a tax resident in the United States. I see. And you're taxed on worldwide income. Okay. So we don't have much time. I want to go through like quick fire questions. Sure. So I have a client who's an H-1B. Now they're looking at the 183 days tax. So so that's when you talk to them about the days and whether they're residents or not. Yes. So now they've got a green card, you know, on the way, sending them to you again. What are you talking to them about? When they're expecting to receive their green card and go into full permanent status and see if there's any pre-immigration planning that can be done. So if they have a house in India, for example, exactly. should they stay or go? Well, it's, I mean, if they're planning to keep the house and they're not planning to sell it before they come here, um, now hopefully they're not resident already in the in the United States. The planning becomes much more difficult. I see. Yeah, but okay. if they, you know, if they are planning to keep all these assets, what we do is we put them in different structures mm-hmm. and we make that sort of plan effective immediately before they get their green card or immediately before they establish residency. Okay. Yeah. And then now let's say you've taken care of the pre-immigration, now they're residents here for like five years and they're thinking citizenship. Is anything going to change in your advice to them? Not necessarily, but what I would consider at that point is to now start thinking about estate tax planning. If you're really planning to stay here, citizenship, I mean, it doesn't get any more certain than that, that you are Mm -hmm. domiciled here and subject to U.S. estate taxes. So really constantly monitoring the investments that they're making, making sure that even when they're in the United States, um, you know, I have clients that buy homes and they buy cars when they get here and they invest in businesses to always do it, do it through a tax-efficient stru- structure. Got it. You know, we use a lot of trust in our planning and there are a lot of benefits that can be derived from doing that and really being able to leave a legacy for your children and your grandchildren. So let me tell you what I tell my clients when they're looking for citizenship. Yes, it Does your country, home country, allow you to be a dual citizen? Oh, sure. That's one of the biggest challenges I see because yeah. you're born and brought up somewhere else and you're, you know, you're Canadian, you don't want to be just American, you don't, right. you don't, you want to let go of that. Right. And some countries don't allow dual citizenship, right. like India and China. The moment you take the oath, you've, you've said goodbye, you know, to your home country citizenship, renounced it. So um, that's what I tell them first. And of course, now I realize I've got to tell them a lot more or just send them <laughs> to you. So um, Ruby, thank you so much yes, for thank being you here for today and talking about such important stuff. I mean, if anything, we could talk about each one of these topics. We could go on. And on and on and yeah. on. But I hope our listeners have had some idea that these issues shouldn't be ignored Absolutely. if they're going to be living here yeah. in any capacity. And um, if anybody wanted to get hold of you, what's your? how do they contact you? Uh, well, I'm... Uh, I'm over at DLA Piper, it's um, a law firm here in the city based out of the Seattle office, and they can call my cell phone actually directly. It's 714-876-5804. Do you want to say that again? Sure. 714-876-5804. 
All right. Well, Ruby, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank Look you. forward to having you again and talking about interesting stuff like this that will make your mind boggle. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that chat and I hope you learned a lot about what you perhaps don't know, especially about pre-immigration and um, tax planning and even state planning. Who knew? So unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our show. We're running out of time. If you have any questions or comments, you're very welcome to email me or call me. Um, our phone number here at the studio is 206-414-7674. Our email address is info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. Remember, we can help you with any of your immigration questions, um, applications, and so forth. Our website is watsonimmigrationlaw.com, um, and we have a blog. We would love for you to sign up to the blog, which is on the website at www www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com where you'll find out law, news about current current information, about our firm, who our guest is, and so forth. Um, next week, we'll be talking about more immigration updates, hopefully about the EB-5 laws that will hope will come out today at some point sign up to our blog to learn about that and we will join you again next week um, thank you again Ruby Manipal for joining us today you've been listening to Tamina Watson on DC 1250 AM we look forward to seeing you next week again at 10 AM sharp thank you so much and have a wonderful week bye bye <laughs>